I'm Chris Underwood for Reels Channel at the Century Rio 24. You check out the first fans for the last Airbender. And I must say, this is my favorite first fan so far. some of the younger first fans for the last airbender and we'll start with the youngest what do you think it sucked it sucked it's terrible it's horrible i really didn't like it but some believe there is still hope here we go pretty much like they skipped through the entire movie pretty much they rushed the entire thing like it didn't like explain things fully the movie could have been as bad as it is right now and if they had just called him ang once yeah. just back away Really slow. Ang! It was too rushed, dude. They didn't have enough detail in it. They skipped a lot of things. The acting wasn't good. The characters really screwed up each other's names. You don't take the main character and change his name. No. No, you don't. Because it's such a letdown. His name is Ang. I gotta tell you, I've never been more disappointed in a movie. I'll be happy if they at least said Ang once. Ang! I thought that um, it kind of sucked if you like av uh, like Avatar the show. I don't actually think M. Night Shyamalan has ever even seen this show. I want my money back. Wow. And I actually wish I had my hair back, too. We recently saw the midnight premiere of Eclipse, and we're big fans of that, but I think this was definitely better than that. I should have gone and seen Twilight. Easy, guys. Easy. Let's take it down a notch. I don't want to diss it. It was bad. Don't go see it. I want to tear down M. Night Shyamalan. I think they took out the best parts of this movie. Momo. I never heard the name Momo once. June wasn't in the movie. I should have been. There was a young lady dressed as a Kyoshi warrior, and she has actually taken the costume off because she wasn't even in the movie. And just so can I can point out, we have a line of people that I think that... I don't think... Did any of you guys like the movie? Yeah, they didn't like it. For Real Channel, I'm Chris Underwood, and I'll see you next week. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. You can't save us. We don't want to be saved. What's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of White People Won't Save You. This is the podcast where we deconstruct these white saver films and recontextualize them through a black and POC lens. I am one of your hosts, Jordan Clark. Uh, unfortunately, our other co-host, Cameron, wasn't able to make it today, but that's okay because we have a very fun and special guest for you today. Uh, he is a contributor to sites such as Level and MTV News and Oprah Daily and has an upcoming book, Forever for the Culture, Notes from the Black Digital Arts Renaissance. This is Stephen Underwood. Hey, hello. Happy to be here. It's really great. I have my tinsel light on for a very special occasion, too, and everything. It's going to be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much for, for coming on and joining us. And like, I'll read a little bit of the description of the book because I'm very interested in not only what it's going to be, but just like how it all came together. So brief description, a combination of personal essays and social commentary on the digital arts movement that black culture has been shaping for over a decade. Right. So we're at an interesting time right now mm -hmm. where Twitter is dying. dying. <laughs> slow death. And we're kind of looking at 
one, just like how black people came together to kind of make that particular space, not only just one for us, right? But like, we're kind of like an engine behind the whole site, you know, like we were kind of pushing a lot of different things culturally that really not only was dominating, you know, the conversation on there, but also like seeped its way from Twitter into just like everyday life. Right. Mm -hmm. And so like us as black people move culture Mm -hmm. in general, right? Like that's kind of what we've always done uh, from the beginning, but specifically now in this digital space, TikTok, Instagram, what's left of Twitter, what comes after Twitter, you know what I mean? Like we're, we're kind of, always at the forefront of a lot of these movements. And if you get more particular about that, black women, uh, queer black men, Mm -hmm. you know, like trans people, trans black people, like are really moving a lot of those spaces in interesting and and different ways that are really opening it up for them, you know, in community Mm -hmm. in that way. But also like we do kind of get this interesting visceral backlash of like, specifically let's say tiktok you know what i mean we go over there and we do all these things that people are copying mm-hmm. and then when it comes time to credit us we don't get that credit right. you know it's just kind of like a thing that came out of nowhere that everybody happens to now be copying and doing so um just in in the book itself and in your experience just you know kind of moving in and being in these places like what do you think it is that that black people specifically black queer people have not only added to you know digital spaces but why is it important for us to continue to show up in these spaces and be um you know involved in these spaces and make it clear that we have a place here that it's not just you know something for people to come and take but like is specifically ours um i'm a huge believer in squatter rights uh which is you showed up a place you contribute <laughs> to it so therefore it is now yours within a reasonable yes. uh amount of assertion um, and so many, like, like you said, so many of these apps, um, they get to a point where they're like just the shut carcass of like, you know, the remains that was an excellent meal beforehand. Like I'm looking at Twitter mm-hmm. and I'm, I have some friends that are like, oh, so this is kind of make your book like inconsequential in the grand scheme of it. Because like the app you're talking about, like predominantly is going away. I was like, Actually, I feel like it makes it more important because even like over the course of the final week, which was last week. If you guys don't know, it's recorded November uh, 27th. So, but a week beforehand, a week beforehand, we all thought Twitter was dying. Everyone was saying their goodbyes. It was very much that church um, going home moment. Everyone's on the way out mm-hmm. in the living room, but they're still talking, full conversation on the patio. Um, <laughs> and like people were already revising the history of what had already happened, who contributed to what, what spaces were doing what. You know, there are people saying, like, oh, you know, Back in like 2013, this app was the shit. Everyone loved it. I'm cussing. Everyone loved it. It was fantastic. Um, but I'm like, but you guys weren't there to see the development of like Black Twitter when it became to be like the trends that happened. Very specifically, every moment that people broadcast was being mutually broadcasted by Black queer people. And it's also happening like very much the same in TikTok. Um, I joined TikTok just as a social experiment because I'm like, I should be a part of that when we talk about the digital arts renaissance because there's art going on there. They are really talented people, but it's like TikTok as an app seems to be an ex- existing purely for the development of pilfering talent from the people who are like basically being mined for it on a loop. Um, like there's very little protection for those people on the app. It's very much feeling like any type of 
support the app is giving niche communities. Like there's a whole black TikTok account where creators can go on and they do individual videos and they just compile them together. But then you look at the behind the scenes and you see like situations where TikTok is advocating for particular people. You're seeing people be shadow banned by the app just for mentioning that I am black. That one statement right. can get your shadow banned or your account put on a uh, warning status. Um, and you're just seeing like how the app in itself is creating a community that just acknowledges the truth that your black creators are where you get the content from, but to spearhead it to the next level, uh, air quotes around that, um, you need to set up a circumstance for people who look better in the face of the camera is the face of advertisers um, doing the things that other people are already doing. Um, and so I think it's very important for us to show up in these spaces because I think that it's very much just acknowledging where and who it came from. It's that moment and bringing it on that people like used to say that it's kind of pointless, but in hindsight, like, that's the best moment when the uh, the clovers show up to the game right in front of their face and yep. show everyone they're not only stealing it, but they're doing it wrong. Right. Um, right. And like it's a back and forth with it because I think as we were watching Twitter go full Reddit, full Reddit incel, thanks to apartheid slime himself, Elon Musk, um, there is an element of people asking, like I had some conversation with a few queer creators, like, isn't it more important that we show up irregardless because, you know, there's lots of people who are, who are going to be pulled into like that right wing, alt right framework if we're not there to put a stopper on it. But I'm very much like, it's not our responsibility to do that. Like I didn't start creating or I didn't start showing up on this app and making jokes, even as, as chaotic as they were, because I'm trying to change people's minds, but their minds are already rooted in a way that they can be swayed that easily to the other side. There's, in, there's mm -hmm. a difference in like expectations and the difference in background. And as my friends would say, like fundamental morals that are going on there that I can't communicate right. with. Um, but what I'm doing is showing up and creating for the urge to create, to contribute to my culture, to have a laugh with people who get the joke who are already on that side of the fence. And I think that's sure. the important part of what it means to show up in these niche communities, like Black Queer Twitter all around, seeing the community that pops up, seeing the conversation, seeing how, like, even how ballroom culture has kind of swept all the way through the app. And, like, yeah, you have, like, a lot mm -hmm. of non-Black people participating and, like, engaging it and, like, doing a really weird parody of it, but then seeing, like, authentic people reconnect with their roots and reconnect with the history that they had no idea about, just off the strength of seeing people who look like them participating in it. Yeah, and I mean, we could have this conversation for hours, but I do want to touch briefly on because I, I do think it is, it's it's an interesting topic, you know, for us mm -hmm. because, you know, I wonder, and, you know, this is, this is always going to be a raging conversation, like, is it better for us to try to establish and create our own place, you know, because we've had stuff like Black Planet and like other places where it's just like, supposed to be for it's never only for us you know other people come through you know from time to time but like supposed to be just a space for us and right now you know even we'll see how it turns out but you know people are trying to create black twitter the app you know and like if that's going to be a thing that latches on and is able to kind of create that momentum but also just in terms of uh preservation and protection right like how much do we give and how much should we expect to to keep mm -hmm. when it's kind of like this, you know, you have cultural exchange, right? And, and people are kind of 
giving ideas back and forth and, you know, taking things. And, you know, there's a fine line between appreciation and appropriation mm-hmm. right, where people are now saying, oh, look at this thing I discovered or invented as opposed to like, oh, look at this, you know, thing that I am. You know, showing appreciation. Ray Cyrus saying Miley Cyrus invented twerking. When I'm like, I didn't catch a twerk at at a party (laughs) in high school for you to say that to my face (laughs) in front of my salad. But yeah, as we continue to move along in these spaces, like how do we, how do we improve things, right? Like how do we try to make things better for us so that not only do we still have the opportunity to create in these spaces, but they are either more welcoming to us or, you know, we kind of retain more of that um, cultural identity mm-hmm. where it's not just something that now becomes this ubiquitous thing on this app, but is being properly credited to the people who are kind of setting those trends and creating that art. I think it starts at like the founders redefining what equity means to them. Um, because I think with the main issue that happened with this Twitter debacle of being sold to Elon Musk and like, the entire redevelopment and the gutting of the app from the bottom up because I was as I just got my blue check mark like last year, um, you know, <laughs> badge of honor or it was, you know, because I went about right. it a difficult way. It wasn't like, you know, I went into Twitter blue, you know, no hate to anyone. I do believe that verified verification should be a universal thing. But I also realized that people want to dick around with things so much. <laughs> It was always very real that, you know, there should be a way for you to understand what is official and what is not. And the universal aspect of it is you definitely shouldn't have to pay for it because you will get people Mm -hmm. paying for it in a way that they don't need to. Um, Like the the content franchises for Twitter were about to be really well developed. They're probably going to be the most equitable Twitter could be across the board in terms of who gets spotlighted and what work gets attention and whose voice is being respected because they have been on this app for a while um me personally that's why i'm going to halo i enjoy halo i walked on in there i was like why is it so peaceful in here why is everyone so nice why is the energy just a vibe and you learn like it's because there's a black there are black queer people at the forefront looking to create space for us without the intention of i'm gonna build this up and sell it um right. the issue with the elon musk scenario is that you have a bunch of places that though they might acknowledge the contributions of black and brown and like black queer people especially um on the framework and on the back end and go you know the woke matters like jack himself doing so many different um black advocacy and black centered um events and coordinated uh platforms like all that going into it is well and good but he still sold the app and still let go of the reins of whatever was going on with the day-to-day tasks like i remember that mm-hmm. um black twitter caucus that he was setting up back before the court the quarantine and how that everyone was dragging it rightfully so because it's weird but even then the conversations that he was going to promote never happened um and so you can acknowledge that this app would be nothing about the black people pushing it forward but if you don't create this app with the intention that i'm not going to give this up once i see the dollar signs look huge enough that becomes a problem and I think so many different applications are only looking to make a big, quick buck um, off of the people who are milling their content for them without any intentions of putting anything back into them. Like I'm creating a space, the space is for us and it's not going to be something that I'm just turning for a profit. A lot of people aren't doing that anymore. Absolutely. I think the whole intention people get to even that on a tech level is because they see the money signs in front of it. And I think things like TikTok and how it's going and where it's going to probably be in another five years 
is very much indicative of a widespread issue of digital exploitation becoming a commonplace thing to just do. Yeah. Well, I mean, let's, again, we could talk about this for, <laughs> for hours and hours. We did come here to talk about a movie, which is maybe... Yeah, I got jokes pressed. <laughs> you got jokes let's, prepped. It's comedy hour. <laughs> Steven, tell everybody what movie you chose for us to watch this week. So sorry. I chose The Last Airbender. <laughs> I have to apologize because I feel like I was going in, I had an idea about the vibe it was going to be because, you know, I love talking about Avatar. And I'm like, mm-hmm. yeah, let's talk about this horrible thing because it's going to be funny. You know, there's a lot of humor you can pull out of it. But then you sit through it. And it stops being funny after like the first five minute mark. And you go, oh, this is sad. Yeah. For me mostly, but for like also like uh, Jordan emailed me back because I'm trying to get back, get through like this whole film. And it's probably worse than I remember. I'm like huddled under a blanket, just sitting there struggling. Um, when we have ADHD, it's not fun. I was watching on YouTube. So there's lots of little other videos I could be watching on the side. I'm like, you know, yeah. your boy Roshi just dropped a new <laughs> reaction to this video. I said, I could be watching that. I could be watching someone else watching something else that's more interesting. It's 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 a rough one. I mean, for people who don't know, Avatar, The Last Airbender, is a, is a cartoon uh, that was on Nickelodeon, uh, ran for several seasons, mm-hmm. had a sequel, uh, and is going to be... I don't know. All of this stuff doesn't really make sense to me. I'm not quite sure why it's not on Paramount Plus and it's on Netflix. I think Netflix just bought the rights to it. It's like how their shows from UPN that's just all over the place because they were just giving away TV rights to people, but they weren't keeping track of who had what. It's like the reason why if you watch Charm now, they can't play the original theme song. Because the original (laughs) theme song is owned by someone else. And so they have to go in and gut that and put a different theme song Mm -hmm. underneath it. Well, Netflix is going to make a live action series based on the original cartoon, but Last Airbender came out in 2010. It's confusing again because Avatar, the movie, came out before this. And so to not confuse it with Avatar, the James Cameron series, they took Avatar off of it and just called it The Last Airbender. Um, so people may have also been like, is this the same thing? It It is, but it is... Co-produced, written, and directed by one M. Night Shyamalan. And just very briefly, I want to get into this because this is... We were talking before we came on. This is this is kind of the worst time for him, right? Because comes out with The Sixth Sense in 99, killing it. 2000, Unbreakable, killing it. 2002, Signs, killing it. 2004, The Village is when people started to say, mm. okay, yeah. Uh, 2006 Lady on the Water is when people said something's wrong. Uh, and 2008 The Happening is when people said no. <laughs> We're not doing this anymore. Um, but that's when he got The Last Airbender and he was he was signed on to direct that. Uh, so we were already in late stage Shyamalan at that point. Uh, and then after Last Airbender he makes After Earth which is like the capstone of the end where everybody's just like, you can't, you got to stop giving this man money. I'm having physical like, reactions to every single one of these. <laughs> I remember seeing After Earth and the difficulty with that film is I told everyone in my friend group, we was in high school, let's not go see this. Let's go see literally anything else because this is going to be a bad movie. And I said, no, it's Will Smith. It's Big Willie, you know, Jaden Smith's mm. in it. It's going to be so great. It looks so interesting. I said, I feel like 
the trailers didn't wow me. If the trailers didn't wow me, that means something. <laughs> you know, they put all the best scenes in the trailer. And yeah, I didn't even feel like I, no one stood up, no one applauded, no one moved. <laughs> and, you know, we went in. I fell asleep in the middle of the movie. I've fallen asleep in the middle of a movie since I was seven years old. I woke up and I was pissed. And I only spent $4.50, mind you. But I wanted that $4.50 back. We walked out the movie. Right. The silence when we walked out that movie theater. And I'm like, yet again, in that Shyamalan fucked me. Yeah. Well, it's the thing, too, where I think I cite that movie as, like, not just not necessarily the downfall of black science fiction, but like the thing that Hollywood uses against us whenever we try to do science fiction. Cause they were like, well, we gave you after earth and we're like, but that sucked. It like that's not what we want to do. And it was, that movie didn't just stain in my Shyamalan. That movie stained Will Smith. Mm-hmm. And Jaden. Well, I mean, yeah, Jaden kind of, yeah. Jaden stopped mean, showing emotion people were kind of like, after that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, Last Air Brother comes in the middle of all that, and it stars a bunch of people that you probably don't know. Uh, it stars Noah Ringer, it stars uh, Nicola Peltz, it stars Jackson Rathbone. Um, the people that you do know, Dev Patel, Asif Mandi, right, are maybe the only people that survived this. Summer Bahil. I don't know if her name is Summer Bahil. Okay. She, she was in the end credits. You blink and you miss her. She played Azula. Yeah. And Oh, 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 okay. And I love her. <laughs> yeah. I love her and the magicians. This, I love her. She's a very place, uh, special place in my heart. Yeah. A lot of people, including M. Night Shyamalan, though, did not come out of this with careers. <laughs> We're on the upswing. Um, Steven, I don't know if you've seen the numbers, so I just want you to take a guess at this. What do you think the budget for this movie was? $57 million. $150 million. <laughs> What do you think the box office for this movie was? I'm gonna say twenty-seven million. Three hundred nineteen point seven million dollars. So they they doubled the budget and then some. At so what cost was? <laughs> well, it's interesting because it so it doubles its budget and then they say there was it was supposed to be a trilogy of films. They immediately said we're not. We're not doing more of these. <laughs> like they, they cut it off. And that's very unusual when you think of something like this, where it's just like, not only did you make it a successful film, but oftentimes, even against like public scrutiny and like criticism, if it was successful enough financially, a studio will say, yeah, we'll do that again. You know, you might get less of a budget. Yeah, but like, three we'll do it again. Fantastic Beast movies. Yeah. <laughs> Well, and you even think about, you know, like the Snyderverse in DC and like they eventually said, hey, we'll we'll give you money to remake the movie that we didn't let you make in the first place to then just our franchise to get more, you know what I mean? And it's just like that's that's the level of like if there's any money to be made, they'll often just go along with it. But something about this, they immediately just Pulled, pulled the cord and just kept it moving. You know, it's because producers <laughs> make decisions based on like if their children walks into a room and says they like something. Nine times yeah. out of ten, and I feel like someone's child walked into the room, looked them dead in the eyes, and for my birthday this year, I just want this never to happen again. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, it's wild because like Angry Birds got a sequel. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> you think about movies like that, who are just like, did anybody see that? another like, emoji they movie? Made, uh, yeah. Another. They did. I think you know. So like that's that's what this is standing up against is. Films like that that were made for children. And again, specifically, movies that are made for kids, if they think they can get kids to see Alvin and the Chipmunks again or the Smurfs again or Trolls again, like, yeah, let's do it. Like, it doesn't cost us, you know, <laughs> that much to, to kind of turn that out. So this was not a flop financially, but definitely a culturally, flop um, a culturally flop. <laughs> and maybe every other way. Because the only thing it was really nominated for was the golden raspberry awards 2010 it won worst picture worst director worst screenplay worst supporting actor and worst use of 3d uh so that's its legacy it's like <laughs> as a film michael bay is universally lauded like as a terrible director making terrible films but high box office i don't even think he was support yeah. last airbender I oh. don't feel it in my spirit. There's something truths that you just capture in your heart, like raisins shouldn't go and um, potato salad, or like just things <laughs> that, like you know, even if I taste it and it tastes good, I won't say it. Mm. It's like the right. something's off in the universe, <laughs> and like no matter what my senses are telling me, in here, uh, no, no, and this this is definitely one of those because as we'll get to in a little bit, the animated series is beloved and not in a way that's like cult status but like universally people it's love avatar you know i call it my stepfather my stepfather like my father uh is a huge like wuxia loving like raised me on kung fu flicks he never made the transition to anime yeah. but i've always felt it like he watched dragon ball in his original incarnation mm. all the way through dragon ball z and then dragon ball gt he followed all of that my yeah. stepfather, very different. He's very much a um, 90s rap loving, like, Met the Man, Rap Man's his idol like type of dude. I call him downstairs watching mm. Nickelodeon, watching a full marathon of Avatar The Last Airbender. Just go, this is good. <laughs> just rocking with it. Like, this, like, this it, is like, he was like, this is my jam. I like this. <laughs> that's it, It's like all walks of life, you know, all kinds of people have come to Avatar, have loved the series, loved the characters. And M. Night Shyamalan decided to do this to it and with it. It's because he hates us. I'm sure. It's because we didn't like the village. I... <laughs> this was revenge. It might be payback of some kind. Um, I'm going to try to summarize this movie in five minutes. This movie is plot. Like, you know, uh, if you haven't seen it, it is really just people telling you what you just watched and what you are about to watch. And then repeating that, you know, like ad nauseum. There's not really a lot of character development or like lore development or any of the fun, whimsical stuff from the show. Or it's really just we got to get to these plot elements. So <laughs> and and I'll, we'll, let's just get into it right here because I'm not going to pronounce the names. They pronounce them in the movie. I'm going to pronounce you know, them on the, the show. <laughs> You and Ah um, don't go together. You don't understand the importance why his name is Ah. Uh. We'll we'll break it down a little bit later where we get to M Night Shyamalan's defense of the movie, but in the the way that he described it is he changed all the pronunciations to better match what he believes are the 
either like Eastern Asian Middle Eastern pronunciations of these names. So in the in the series, you know, it's Aang, it's Katara, it's uh, Sokka, it's I think they pronounce who else has a weird pronunciation. They say Zuko, right? But I think is it is it Iro instead of Iro? I think so. I think it's a high key. Yeah. They do a lot of weird things, but just so you know what I'm <laughs> pronouncing the names. I'm pronouncing them the way that they do on the show. In the movie. <laughs> <laughs> so we get an introduction to start, which is trying to mirror the opening credits of the TV show where we have Katara telling us basically what has come to pass is that there's a couple of different nations, Fire Nation, Earth Nation, Water Nation, uh, Air Nation, right? And the Air Nation has kind of disappeared, but the three other nations have been at war for basically a hundred years with the Fire Nation trying to take over the world, trying to take over every other nation and kind of put them underneath them. And so uh, Katara and Sokka are part of the Southern Water Tribe. They're mother has passed their father has left for war they're kind of there in charge of the tribe but also you know just trying to survive day to day and they crash into this unusual iceberg right as they're going along and the iceberg contains two things it contains uh ang who is this 12 year old boy he's got a bald head he's covered in all these tattoos and his pet flying bison appa right and so they take them back to their village and they kind of try to figure out, you know, why was this boy trapped in ice and what's going on with him? Meanwhile, we also meet uh, Prince Zuko, who is the disgraced son of the Fire Nation Lord. He has been looking for the Avatar because that is what he believes to be his key back into the good graces of his father and the Fire Nation. And so these things kind of, you know, come together where Zuko comes to this, um, tribe and is looking for what he believes to be an older person right he's i think he says something to bring me your elderly <laughs> uh you know because he's looking for the avatar and finds out that it is it is ang right and ang gets captured gets brought into the boat and you know zuko's uncle Euro is like we don't want to do anything harmful to you just we just want to give you a test right and he brings out couple of different elements he brings out a candle he brings out a rock he pours some water on the table all of them react to ang and that keys them off that he is indeed the avatar right and so from there there's just a lot of weird plot elements that they try to mash in but more or less uh katara and Sokka rescue him riding appa right um they take him back to the southern air temple where um Aang is from and he believes that he's going to find all his family there and all the monks there but they are all dead it's been a hundred years um so he's kind of feeling you know sad and i mean you can't really tell from the actor but you, you assume <laughs> that he's feeling sad and emotions um and after that they just decide that they need to free everybody right like he has Aang has this meeting with the in the spirit world with the dragon spirit that doesn't really explain it just kind of happens and from there they go to this um camp in the earth kingdom where everybody's been enslaved and told not to earth bend even though they are on earth <laughs> and like, 
could easily rebel. They don't really have this idea until Aang and the rest of the kids show up and say, hey, you're like Earth. You're standing on it. You should fight back. And then we get some of this, the terrible, terrible, terrible excuses for bending where in the show, it very much is a simultaneous thing where, you know, like Earth, fire, air, all of that is kind of moving at the whims of the characters here. There's long extended Tai Chi-esque movements that correspond to it that result in terrible special effects that <laughs> don't amount to anything but they managed to to raise up the earth kingdom and they fight back um there's a lot of other just weird plot stuff that we don't really have to get into but basically uh you know zuko is is underneath commander zhao uh who is you know like basically out to continue to embarrass him and make him you know an outcast and so he wants to get the avatar before zuko can um and manages to capture the avatar again you know when they go to the air temple because one of the monks betray him um but then the blue spirit who was never explained but we all know is zuko <laughs> helps uh Aang escape again. They go to the northernmost water tribe, right? Where, again, we are not told anything. They're explaining anything, but we meet a princess there. We meet, um, you know, basically the most powerful members of this water tribe who are holed up there. And Fire Nation attacks for some reason that's not explained in the movie, at least, that, you know, uh, Zhao knows that the moon spirit is in like one of these fish that are in this uh spiritual like Aang says is there a spiritual place and then the princess says yes there's a very spiritual place <laughs> we should go there and it's a cave that has two fish swimming in it they're supposed to represent um you know these spiritual elements we don't really get that but then Zhao stabs a fish which uh like kills the spirit like blocks out the moon blocks out the power of you know the the water tribe they're down bad having a hard time fighting back against the fire nation but uh the princess sacrifices herself brings back the moon spirit um water tribe is able to fight back ang is able to fight back he summons the most of his power there's supposed to be an element here where ang is learning to get control over all the different bending types because he only learned how to air bend he didn't really learn how to do any of the other things that's not really explained nor is it really fleshed out but this is supposed to be a moment where he taps into his true power water bends you just destroys a lot of the ships scares off the fire nation protects this village the movie kind of ends at that point <laughs> because they were expecting to have several sequels uh from there but really it's just the end and then for no reason at all because we never get to anything else but we have a end credit sequence where fire lord ozu is you know kind of stinging at this defeat by the avatar and so he tasks his daughter uh princess zula with you know tracking down the avatar and you know anybody else that has felt him and that's where we leave the movie at and boy this one is uh a real mess I'll play the music, but you know. 
we're gonna have to <laughs> we're gonna have to figure out how to talk about this one because <laughs> I I don't even I think really know where to start. Like even d- describing that it again was, was triggering. Me. So. <laughs> I was having physical reactions. You guys can't see me at home, but I was having physical reactions to remembering key moments. Like especially at the bending elms, I just kept seeing that sloshing ball of water. The first five minutes. <laughs> the one that lost no value, no mass, didn't behave like water at all. <laughs> I think it's, it's a good place to start is the differences. Um, because the differences are what makes, what yeah. damn this film. Because I think everyone, when it comes to adaptations, they're like, yeah, things are going to be different. You can't, one's a animated medium, one's a, a completely realistic medium. You can't inherently do the exact same thing. So mm. you can't have Appa be Appa and be lovable and everything else, and like have like humanized characteristics, so that what happens in the second season happens, and you feel it viscerally because he's a person. Well, not a person, but he has like yeah. consciousness. He's a thing that have reactions and contributes to the group. Um, the differences in this film, in like only highlighting key moments that people loved, rather than the key moments the story needed. And like the changes to bending yeah. across the spectrum is like you remove the spirituality from the film uh, that needs to that was so prevalent in the series. Like bending wasn't just a weapon; it was like a way of life. You didn't have, just have like fighters who were benders. It was like people used it for art. Uh, they yeah. used it for industrialization. Like that's the whole reason why you had mm-hmm. literal earthbenders mining is because like there's an aspect of it that is like if you want to mine places send in an earthbender because if different if difficult situations pop up you can use them and that's the horrible yeah. thing what the fire nation was doing is that they were taking something that was fundamentally spiritual and they were commodified they were industrializing it they were taking firebenders and using them to make warships they were taking earthbenders and using them for a variety of stupid things um i'm very upset about that episode because that was the most revolutionary moment i think the avatar ever hit is in like waking up the uh earthbenders from like a mentality of basically a prisoner a prisoner industrial complex they have been defeated on the interior they couldn't fight back at all so they have to be inspired again to fight at all well it's so strange i think what they decided to keep and what they decided to change and what they decided was gonna draw in people because i think for for people who have seen the show and love the show this has none of the things that you love for people who have never seen the show and they're coming to this fresh this is just a very confusing mishmash of like not only just like strange concepts that don't necessarily align but like no, there's no personality in any of these characters, right? Like Dev Patel is by far mm-hmm. the best actor in the movie. He doesn't have anything to really work with because his character is is very much. Everybody's character is like. I can't even say that M Night Shyamalan watched an episode of the show because, like, even if you just watch one, like you know, at least the core elements of what these characters are, right? Sokka is not funny at all and not even like not funny but like doesn't even attempt humor right like there's never a moment where like he's supposed to tell a joke and it just doesn't land it's like he doesn't tell jokes like he's not a funny person like you have characters like you were saying like appa and momo who are supposed to be you know these kind of animal 
comedic relief, yes, but also like you get to know them I more. Still and, the, right, like, like Momo saying, is I, there for a reason. Momo is here to fuck shit up whenever he's needed. <laughs> he's Robin. Right. And doesn't doesn't do that at all in the movie. Shows up randomly just because I think they were like, we have to have him, but he had to sell toys. doesn't serve any purpose to towards toys. anything. That <laughs> That's what I... But you, you already have the toys from the show. So it's like, even in this... And even in the design, right? Like, Appa... I know, you know, like you were saying, there is obvious differences between the animation and live action, but like, Appa still is supposed to look like something that you would like to spend time around right and not like a horrifying <laughs> monster or creature because like you know it is that duality of like very gentle natured right until you start messing mm -hmm. with his people or you know like him himself and then and then he will he'll fuck kill you up you. but like uh he's not a pacifist he's an animal but that's like he will kill you <laughs> well that's what i'm saying but that's like an animal right like that's like if you know a horse and you're able to like you know uh create a bond with it like yeah that's a nice horse but like if you don't know that horse and you walk up behind it like it'll kick your face in right and that's kind of like what appa was supposed to be but like appa doesn't even get a moment where he like licks somebody and they're like covered <laughs> in saliva or like you know like dunk somebody underwater as they're flying over the mm -hmm. water as like you know because like he was like a mm -hmm. playful character like he had his own kind of sense of humor but like all of that was removed from the film ang is like such a strange i don't even really know what was supposed to be happening the movie doesn't leave enough time for anybody to have any full emotional arcs but like ang is supposed to be yeah. a child right i think that's kind of what's the most interesting thing about the animated series is that this is revolution Mm -hmm. by children right like and you don't you they never really let you forget that they are kids right in the way that they interact with each other and the way that they see the world even zuko right like there's so much that is relatable about them whether no like your father may not be the fire lord <laughs> that yeah. kicked you out of the home but like if you are somebody who got kicked out of their home like you can relate to zuko if you are somebody who is looking at you know parents or adults in their life and and wondering if you'll ever live up to their expectations you are a Zuko, right if you are somebody who's looking at ang and saying wow like you have been thrust upon like this this great responsibility like how do you maintain who you are as a person while also like living up to those responsibilities right like there's all kinds of interesting things and nuances that specifically kids right can latch on to and see themselves in these characters and they decided, no, <laughs> let's take all of those things out and just make them like plot machines, basically. Because like Katara spends the whole movie telling everybody what you just saw or like what is about to happen. Right. And like never once does she have any moment where she gets any real like character that's moment like she does a little bit of bending her but, character like, arc is being really a good bender but that's not actually it's like he read a synopsis of every single character i don't believe in not sure ever watched the, sh the show i don't because i know that directors so. like to do that thing where it's like oh it's my interpretation so i feel like if i read the source material it would dilute my mm -hmm. grand vision for this one like when well, no, you, you need to see the source material 
because you if you just read the synopsis you would be completely you would misunderstand these characters like that's the whole point of them is that these yeah. they fit into very specific or expected roles on the hero's journey but then they subvert it as they're going like there's a midway point when each one does mm-hmm. it like for Sokka it's like he goes to Kyoshi Island and he learns that like mm-hmm. his interpretation of what a warrior is has been misunderstood especially because he spent so long without the male role models uplifting him and helping him see like yeah the traditions you read on paper are not how they are in execution you will meet warriors who are women and you will right. meet ways for you to battle that isn't just brute strength it's through your cunning and through these very feminine architecture uh, and you need you can think your way out so many different problems and that's how he unlocks he's actually very intelligent um across the broad span katara yeah. her whole thing is about empowerment it's not very much about her learning to bend you know it's very much about her trying to figure out how yeah. she can be powerful without losing her sense of empathy well and i think that the show a lot of people have assumptions about mm-hmm. animated series and specifically animated series that are made for kids and probably assume that it's a very like straightforward kids have superpowers they go fight other mm-hmm. people with powers and that's kind of the show but like there's a lot of things there's a lot of like feminist ideas within the show there's a lot of ideas about like spirituality and like cultural identity within the show there's a lot of even just like between the characters i mean a character like Toph, who is like in her own way disabled but is also able to like take that and not not even have it be a limitation but like lean into it and like never be apologetic about it right and like that's such an empowering characteristic and character trait for her to like show other kids who have similar things it's like oh you know maybe the world looks at me and says oh well you know sorry that you are the way that you are but like Toph is like I'm not sorry like this is who (laughs) this is who I am and this is who I'm gonna be and I'm gonna make the most of you know my life and nothing really is gonna limit me and I think there's so many empowering elements of the show that the movie just decides not good enough you know we don't have time for that because these people have to like dance. Weirdly dance <laughs> for like, very <laughs> minimal interaction. I'm like, if that takes that much to bend one thing, honestly, bending is a stupid art form. It takes that much effort that <laughs> like literally nothing is going down. Especially like also his weird change of fire bending. like, oh, yeah, you need existing fire because everything else needs material. Set. But no, right. fire is using material. It's using heat. <laughs> that's just the whole thing that's going yeah. on. It's actually like I think he had he took exception, I think, to the deep spirituality of the series. That's what it feels like going through is that the spirituality is what yeah. he took umbrage with. And he just gutted it. All of it's gone. All of it is gone. Well, we'll hear from him in just a little bit because I think trying to interpret his approach, it seems like he also was talking down to kids, right? Like, I think he also thought, oh, this is like a kid's thing. And so let me, let me, let me do these things where like the characters, A, don't talk in any natural way. B, are constantly repeating the plot because kids can't keep that in their mind about like what's happening or like what they just, like we have to spell everything out for them. Um, And, and B or C, like making it something that, even like because even if it was just like all right cool visuals right like 
kids don't really care about you know like character development or like intricate plot things that I do in my other movies. So what if we just gave them really cool things to look at, bright colors and flashy? The movie's palette is mm-hmm. dark, which is confusing. Um, like the design of the characters and the world is dull and not interesting. And like, because in the animated series, in the very first episode, Aang is riding a penguin. Penguin sledding. <laughs> fun. A sled, you know what I mean? It's like f- f- fun things are happening that kids would be like, I want to do that. You know, like interesting animals, like interesting visuals, you know what I mean? And then like the fighting itself, right? Very much inspired by, you know, a multitude of martial arts, but also is like very like top form like you could you could say avatar some of the top animation fight sequences yeah of the last decade it's right like that's really interesting they pay attention cool. to their posture their forms yeah. like they the lines are clean i i learned how important lines are to me after watching ruby uh post yeah post monty um <laughs> the lines are all over the place i'm like i can't find the where my eye is supposed to direct itself <laughs> but the lines are pristine. Everything is pristine. And there's there's a thing I like to call, like, um, battle mage competency, which is the idea that, like, in fiction, whether it had two wizards battling in the series or anything like that, it never has the practicality of anyone who's ever been in a fight before. Because it's not, yeah. there's no intention to it. There's just, like, laser beams and lights and flashing everything. Whereas the most simple things you could do are the things you should do in a fight. <laughs> And yeah. Avatar always had that. It always had a competency that we're doing it this way, yeah. not because it looks cool, but because it makes the most sense. Well, even in the first, because I was watching the first couple episodes back just for this the show, and like, there's, I think it may be the second episode where Zuko has uh, Aang trapped like on the ship, and then Aang is trying to escape, and he runs into Zuko's room. And they have that fight sequence where Aang is basically just like mm-hmm. dodging him the whole time, you know, and they get to like, that's a cool, not only use of like Aang's power, but also shows like Aang isn't somebody who's necessarily going to be, you know, offensive. Like he's not trying to hurt anybody. He's bold he's to, a fighter. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's just trying to get out the way. And like, it's a real good like character moment for both of them in a fight. That happens not once <laughs> this entire movie. There's never a moment where, because they have a fight, you know, near the end, but it's really just like the the least interesting uses of their abilities, and like mm-hmm. nothing really comes of it in terms of like a character moment where, you know, like Zuko has a great realization. Because there's even like in in the in the show like. Uh, Zuko and uh, the commander have a fight. Like they fight each other, mm-hmm. and that, that's a big moment yeah, for Zuko. Where he, yeah, like where he's able to like not only just defeat him, but then we get to see, you know, how people view Zuko. Like he's never going to be good enough, you know, even if he is victorious in these moments, even if he does show that he is capable. Like people are always going to look down on him, you know, because he's been kicked out of of the Fire Nation, right? And so like. Stuff like that would have been cool to see in the movie, but it feels like there's not enough time because we had to get to the end. And like that's <laughs> the understand. weird part because those moments are also where you get the most world building. Like you get hints of the Fire Nation not just being cartoon villains, which he also did 
which is weird because like he made them all Indian. And so you made your own people villains in this narrative, like cartoonishly evil. Like they're, yeah. they're the Sith. <laughs> um, but the whole aspect of that Acti Kai episode is like you get an idea of like, yeah, the Fire Nation are deeply honor bound and they have very set rules and protocols for how you go about things. Like literally to the point of Commander Zhao's attempting to attack Zuko with his back turned to him is frowned mm-hmm. upon because like this is a dishonorable move. The rules say you have to do this this way and you didn't. So you shamed yourself, which makes his promotion later on that much more insidious because mm-hmm. he did that and it had no repercussions because the Fire Nation is slowly moving away from tradition, which is a problem. And they really just even like what the Avatar is and what the Avatar represents is like not even a discussion point. You know, like the Avatar is presented as basically Neo from the Matrix, right? Like mm-hmm. they're like the one, like they're this like amazing <laughs> person who can do everything. But it's like what what the cultural importance of having somebody who brings together all these different disparate tribes and kind of shows you know, not even just the unity amongst them, but like the necessity of balance and like having all of these different cultures being respected and respectful of each other, uh, but also being able to act interdependently with one another and like what that means specifically in a time of war, right? Where like the Fire Nation is basically erasing culture from, you know, all of these places and trying to make themselves the dominant figures. Like, it's like, yay, the Avatar's back great like <laughs> it's so cool he's so powerful look at him flip and it's like why though like no one gets the there's no why to anything it's just and then it happens and that's the issue is they make zuko so reactive that it's like yeah. he's not like actually when you think about zuko he's not a reactive character he's very assertive he does mm-hmm. things with a very strong sense of self involved in why he's doing that he's going after ang and that's why the part when like he re- is revealed as the uh the blue spirit and like ain't sitting around for like we could have been friends all this time like yeah. there's nothing about you that i dislike is that you're choosing to rush down this path to capture me and you don't have to you know you don't every one of your actions show that you don't actually believe in these things that you're doing yeah. um and like that then prelude that literally preludes the episodes of his imbalance and his journey to find balance within himself and his goals it's such a good, it's just a well-written series. And you know this whole <laughs> movie's going downhill from the, the wall crawl. Yeah. I was looking at the wall crawl and I was like, this is badly written. I was like reading this like the subject of replacement is bad. Like this is bad. <laughs> well, let's let's talk about and get into really why we're here for this particular podcast. And that's because the casting decisions in this movie are wild, right? First and foremost, for those who don't know who haven't seen the show. There's a there's a wide range of, you know, diverse representation on the show, right? And so there's a little bit of yeah, we're placing certain people in to certain groups based on a couple of different factors, but like the Water Tribe is very much so and the Water Nation are very much so supposed to be Inuit representation, right? Like the Air Temple and the Air Nation are supposed to be kind of Tibetan representation. Um and you, you look around and you see in the movie, there's three white people <laughs> at the center of the film as the three main leads and everybody else is black or brown. 
right? But everybody else is presented as either A, villains, and not just villains, but like borderline Nazis, like borderline, (laughs) you know what I mean? Uh, Two, helpless and uh, unable to do anything for themselves, right? Just waiting for somebody to come along and save them. Or three, you know, kind of these like duplicitous, you know, because there's like the um, the monk at the air temple who's just like, I didn't want to betray you, but like, got to do what I got to do, you know, and like nobody else is presented and like, you know, princess is presented as kind of like benevolent, but like not a real person. Like she's You're just there. <laughs> oh my God. It's just so much going left. Um, I had so many ideas in my head just flash and they all just collided for a second. I'm like, the <laughs> casting choices is interesting because the original series is very much coded. You're definitely right. But then there's still moments that you'll randomly see someone who's dark skinned um, yeah. in the environment and it's just a natural part of it. Um, I think even the best exploration of that is when they explore the origins of firebending and they go like, oh yeah, there's like this whole, the people of the sun, like the sun tribe, like all of them are Mayan inspired, dark skinned, like high ass tech and aesthetic their bending style in itself is completely different and they revealed mm-hmm. the idea that there's the whole range of culture cultural identity you can see is not exactly what's going on in front of your face all the time right. um and then you take that and go to the film and then they shit on it <laughs> <laughs> um well <laughs> well and it's and it's 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 a whitewashing yes but it's also you know continued example of hollywood's distrust that audiences will a come and see you know non-white people in starring roles even though again black panther once again is not only about to be the highest grossing film of the year but like it's gonna gross a billion dollars again so that's like Mm -hmm. the second time that a cat and this one is a film led predominantly by black women so you're mm-hmm. gonna have a movie led by a black woman break a billion dollars at the box office, but you have numerous other examples over the last couple of years of movies that had very little white people, if any white people, anywhere near the starring roles, and those movies did very well. You know what I mean? And now you're looking at television where like Atlanta and um you know, Insecure and other shows like that are doing very well, you know, or did very well, right? And there's still that hesitancy to say specifically when it comes to things like this where we're like oh you know we're gonna give you a lot of money we're expecting to get a lot of money back you know we don't know if people are gonna come because it wasn't like they cast anybody that people knew right like it would no, be one thing if it was like original new castings Right. It would be like, oh, okay, that kid's on the Disney Channel. That kid is actually currently on a Nickelodeon show. I see where they cast him. You know, that's somebody that, you know, is like a child star or whatever. So it's like, okay, I don't agree with this, but like you cast three people who are more or less known commodities, banking on them, bringing in money to the box office, right? The only person they cast that had any real cultural relevancy at least in a somewhat of a lead role was dev patel who had been in slumdog millionaire and mm-hmm. so that's what people knew him from the most especially when this movie came out um but like you look at the lead character right and i'll, I'll tell you the story noah ringer 
basically was in taekwondo competitions you know he was 10 years old and he had shaved his head a couple times and people joked that he looked like ang from avatar and so when he heard that the movie was being cast he decided to just send in a tape of him doing taekwondo and that was enough for m night Shyamalan. didn't have to <laughs> didn't have to do an audition had never acted in anything before like just my kind bike of... choreography is highly dance oriented rather than like martial <laughs> arts. <laughs> so would be better to casting a dancer and it would have translated way better. Well, but that's it's like all he had to do was look kind of like the character in the show and show that he could fight a little bit. And that was it. You know what I mean? And you can only imagine how many kids from all around the world who were not only just dying to be in this movie, but probably had prior acting experience. were definitely like looking at this as an opportunity to kind of, you know, have a breakout role. And this kid just says, I think I could do that. <laughs> and it's okay by one of the most successful um, Brown directors in recent history. Um, you, you, you did that. <laughs> Yes. You chose to do that. That was an active decision on your part. Well, and we'll 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 break a little bit here to get into some more of the casting because let me ask you <laughs> of all the people that you thought would play Zuko, did you think that Jesse McCartney would be one of them? <laughs> See, I just had a thought, right? <laughs> I had a thought. <laughs> In the back of my head, I was like, you know, it's very strange that the brown people weren't cast to play the water tribe because they're literally brown. But then that would mean that white people would have to play the Fire Nation. And is that any better? I feel like this would be a little gross seeing a bunch of white people walk around in clear Japanese regalia. But, you know, <laughs> it's the last samurai of it all. And then you wow. said that. And that's it. So someone had the thought, okay, so it occurred and they had a discussion. And they said, or we could be the white people, the water tribe. I think that makes a lot more sense. <laughs> M. Night Shyamalan had the thought. M. Night Shyamalan wanted Jesse McCartney to be <laughs> Prince Zuko. Um, so that was just like one of those things that you were like, why would that even happen? You know, so Gross. luckily they cast Dev Patel and that, you know, and like I would say of all the cast, Asif Manvi is the only person who gets the movie that he's in. Not because <laughs> like, he's doing a good job but more so because he's like oh this is dumb like we're in a dumb movie <laughs> i'm just gonna like exaggerate every instance that i'm on screen because this is like silly right you know everybody else is trying to give somewhat stoic and like you know dramatic performances and he's just like all right you know <laughs> you want me to say what now um, do what i'm getting paid either way and this is not going into my reel so <laughs> yes <laughs> But you look at it, right? So, like, that's a choice, right? To not only cast your three main roles as white, even though they're not white in the source material, but also to cast everybody else as black, brown, you know, mm -hmm. uh, or basically everything else but non-white, right? So, interesting quote here that I have uh, from Paramount, defending the casting, saying that, 
more than half of the credited speaking roles were filled by people of color, and that Knight's vision of The Last Airbender includes a large and ethnically diverse cast that represents cultures from around the world. M. Night Shyamalan will also go on to tell you that, oh, you know, we cast people from so many different cultures. You know, there's people from Thailand, there's people from, you know, China, from Japan, from Korea, from South Asia, you know, and like they're all there, but they're all there in the background, mm-hmm. right? They're all there as as just setting, right? Like not actually as characters. Even we get brief setting. glimpses of, yeah. Not even like, good well, we get brief glimpses of them in peril, mostly, or or causing peril, you know, as the Fire Nation. And I don't think there's one person besides Princess Yui that gets to make a decision. Like, I think they all basically just wait around for Aang and Katara and Sokka to choose for them mm-hmm. or do things for them. You know, so like, does it really count if more than half of the speaking roles are by people of color, if their lines don't have any agency, urgency, relevancy, if it's just like, look out or, oh, no, <laughs> you have, we weren't there, Avatar. We've been through so much. Like what? What have you been through? Yeah. <laughs> help me help the viewers at home understand um, how. I am upsetting something rather than just making a decision for you as if you've been waiting for me. <laughs> because that's right. not what was happening in the original series at all. No one was waiting for no. the Avatar to come back. They were fighting and they were losing, yeah, because of the pure yeah. industrial might of the Fire Nation and the fact that the Fire Nation fought dirty. Um, and some people were resentful that the Avatar decided to come back after not coming back for that whole time. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? So it's just like... <laughs> You know, just an interesting dynamic of of what it would mean for Aang to not only come back after all this time, but to, like, face the people who he more... I mean, you know, he didn't intend to get captured in ice for 100 years, but, like, he didn't want to be the Avatar, you know? (laughs) Like, he was trying to get away. So, you know, having to face the responsibility that he left behind, like, that's a huge part of his character development. And everybody in the movie is just either like, thank you, Avatar, or... Um, you know, please save me, Avatar. You know, like nobody else has anything to say about anything, and that's so upsetting because it's there are clear moments where me as a creator, I'm looking at this film, I go, you, you put no effort into this film, even though you're defending it as if you did, um, because you mm-hmm. look at that whitewashing aspect, and you look at the characters in the background just becoming placemats and setting but not even good setting what i mean by that is that you can have characters as setting who are participating in the just the the filling out of the world around them they're just doing little nuanced things all around in that setting in the background that enhance everything going on it can be something as subtle as you see the avatar and everyone rolls their eyes that tells you a lot more (laughs) or like the things that people love about the avatar series is that there are little world building moments of like from the food um to the environment to like the individual cultures of what you see in the dance and like the speech and the behaviors the festivals that you see as they're traveling that do more to enhance themselves but also show you like why what the fire nation is trying to do is so wrong but then you go to the fire nation and you see why and how they can be so deluded as to think their way of life is better just because they have the things that they have developed for everyone else within their community 
so let's let's just get into M Night's defense of this film uh, because he was very. I don't know if it was just because of the last couple of films and you know him feeling like people were attacking him, or if he really felt this passionate about the movie because it didn't show on the screen. So I'm I'm very confused as to why he got so charged up about it. Um, but let me just read you a few choice quotes for one M. Night Shyamalan. This comes 2015, five years after this movie has been out. Um, he's doing press for Wayward Pines and people are still asking him about it. And so just in terms of, uh, you know, the question, like they're basically asking him, you know, if he's been surprised or still surprised uh, to the way that people have reacted to the film after all this time. And he says, it's really weird because on the show, the average age was like nine years old. My child was nine years old. So you can make it one of two ways. You can make it for that same audience, just as what I did for nine and 10 year olds, or you could do the Transformers version and have Megan Fox. I didn't do that. That would have felt like, well, I'm going to make a movie about a kid's show that my 10 year old is watching and not make it for her. I'd make it for my guy friends. That felt like a portrayal of the innocence of the piece. In retrospect, is it too young to go out? Is it? It's like what your intention is versus what they want it to be. Clearly, clearly 10-year-olds, I go out and 10-year-olds are like, that's my favorite show. I love that movie. Parents come up to me and go, they've watched The Last Airbender 74 times. Those kids, it's for them. It was for them to talk about mysticism and Eastern philosophies through a 10-year-old's vernacular. So, you know, these business propositions, which have very little interest to me of like, hey, this business proposition is to get Megan Fox to be, you know, you should age it till it's like that. That was in the source material, you know what I mean? Whereas also, like a Transformers, it's really fascinating because it's valid for Transformers. You know why it's valid? Because it's the little boys that were playing with them and they're all grown up now. They're the ones who wanted to see Megan Fox. That's absolutely appropriate. You know what I mean? I'm not sure fuck you. you. <laughs> you're going to hell and you know it's going to be from this film i think god has been dead against you and it's going to be bad um <laughs> god bless you whenever root someone has six onto you but it's going to be a bad lighting um and glass can't save you <laughs> well, well i mean just why the fuck you lying why you always lying oh my god stop fucking lying like stop lying it's... right like that's not what she meant because like how, he didn't I make love this how movie he, for 10 year olds he slammed on in uh, michael bay real quick and then try to walk it back right <laughs> well but like what does transformers have to do with any of this Maybe. that nobody asked you about that and that's not even what people are, are accusing you of is sexualizing avatar <laughs> like no no one has accused you of that people's criticism of you it actually sits within the source material is that you fundamentally misunderstand the series and you use the people who come up to you like yeah i think some people the good like the the 20 percent of the people who probably gave the last airbender five stars and said you know shut my kid up for a good 30 minutes and so that's all i needed mm -hmm. for me to get these dishes done yeah <laughs> yeah i believe people have actually done that to you and night Shyamalan, but i'm thinking about like was it worth it so you're saying like you reached your target because these people came to you and they said they loved it they loved this cartoon and they also loved the film but was it worth the mass destruction to your career that occurred afterwards and that's what we're looking at it's not even about like films being universally loved by audiences because i'm one of those people who think that um art should be created with the creator in mind you write the story you want to tell 
but the story you were telling did not feel like the story you wanted to tell at all. Sure did not. It didn't feel like you had a story to tell at all. No. It felt like you were just rehashing something that people would pay for. And because you didn't realize that many people who had such great love for this film that you could just shit all over it. Um, now you're trying to do some damn, some quick repairs to like the narrative of it. Like, oh, you know, I wasn't just bullshitting through this. I was making something that I think personally the children would love. But I'm like, it's children are capable of absorbing really complicated things very easily. But you didn't that you didn't make mysticism digestible. You just made a bad YA series. YA books all <laughs> over the planet do really complicated things. Even like we want to talk about like complicated discussions. The Percy Jackson series, mm -hmm. top notch, really complicated stuff. Or the very nature that is the um the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, the Chronicles of Narnia in general, mm -hmm. really complicated nuances in that entire franchise. But it's a children's book. Uh, and also you come in after like the, the grand height of Harry Potter, which deals with very yeah. serious subject matter and very serious ideas about death, life, um, selfishness, selflessness, and the idea of like being a hero. There's also like a little bit in that series about like the media and how propaganda operates like on a mass level to either feed hysteria or to cover up situations that the powers that be would rather have obscured completely um just to keep the peace yeah. you can tell really complicated stories to children and they will digest it i think steven universe completely disengages everything you were talking about because steven universe is the most profound series i think i've ever seen and it's for kids and yet i know only adults who who will not let that so go there's still debates over whether or not pink diamond was a villain or not and we can't decide one or the other but I'm just like looking at this series. I can't for the life of me say any of this had intentionality to it. Um, I can open it up and look at the dialogue and go, there's no intentionality here. What are you trying to teach? What about the complications you added to the bending system makes sense to a child? You know, and specifically if you are a kid, like you're coming to it from the show, most likely. Mm -hmm. And so you're coming to it with expectations about not necessarily being just the show in movie form but like you're coming to it to see all of the things that you love all the characters that you love right and like the way that they go about adapting it like animation adaptions video game adaptions i mean we can touch on this very quickly like dragon ball z evolution terrible mm -hmm. right and like another decision to not only just completely change the source material but also cast a white person as the lead you have uh stuff like I mean, countless video game adaptations. In the show. Name one. <laughs> or, or, yeah, you know, like there's a bunch of stuff where it's just like, well, and it usually does happen with, with things that are more or less anime or anime related where they're just like, well, Asian leads aren't going to sell in America. We've made that decision that we just don't want to highlight any Asian mm -hmm. people in any like main roles which again we've seen not only just crazy rich agents not only everything everywhere all at once not only uh you know shang chi but like multiple other things where it's Parasite. like that's clearly not true mm -hmm. <laughs> you know right um so it's that but then it's also like people won't understand 
whatever like the the key elements of the source material are or like people won't understand you know the dragon balls or how they work or what they mean like people won't understand um i think i didn't watch the death note movie but that was another one where they cast white people in it and i'm assuming they also probably made changes to how the death note works or at least in a way that was like unnecessary right like there's a lot of unnecessary changes in these things where i feel like people are trying to put their own unique stamp or take on Mm -hmm. it and even looking at something like detective pikachu which is like not what i would have done for a pokemon movie but at the same time felt like a very faithful like the way that the pokemon were just integrated into the world they and like part. the way yeah. that people interacted with them yeah like it was a successful adaption because people were like oh like yeah that's what i i would like to live in that world where you know these pokemon are work- walking around and jigglypuff's cafe and like all these other things that were just kind of like silly moments in the movie but added to not only appeal to people who like you know the source material but also people unfamiliar with it to kind of highlight the way that you know the pokemon were supposed to be integrated into the larger world and universe right even how they this broke down a pokemon's move set like that move that moment was genius yeah. like yeah you can do four moves these are your four moves and there's nothing black it's black and white about it you can do these four moves and that's it and yeah. they integrated it executed it and they, it was just a part of the series that's it that's all you need to do <laughs> yeah these movies either try to overly complicate things for no reason or they they try to dumb it down in a way that's like well nobody really cares about you know the emotionality of it or they don't really care about these characters relationships they just want to see people fight and then the fight sequences are trash mm-hmm. too so it's just like well even that like you know i don't think people would have given dragon ball evolution a pass in any way but like at least if there was some interesting fight choreography people would have been like all right well it kind of looks like the show at least not even that right like you're not giving us anything so medical point um dragon ball evolution is better <laughs> than last airbender because you can do a drinking uh, game you can watch it and find <laughs> moments that are so painful it's funny whereas the avatar like yes. last airbender stops being funny after five minutes i wrote down on a note that yeah. like a fun drinking game would be uh take a drink every time i say oh okay as I'm watching the last airbender, but then said, but then I remember that alcoholism does run in my family. And so first five minutes, I said kind of said, I said, oh, 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 okay, like a, a record number of times. And I'm like, this is not gonna be okay. It's not good. It's not a healthy yeah. decision. Well, let's get back to to M. Knight's just absurd defenses of this film. Uh he told Sci-Fi Wire the year that this movie came out, 2010 that anime is based on ambiguous facial features. It's part of the art form. You got a problem with that? Talk to the dude who invented anime. It's not my issue, okay? That girl Katara looks like my daughter. That boy Aang looks like Noah Ringer. There's no Inuit that looks like Katara. It's not true. It's just not true. She looks like my daughter. My daughter is a dupe of Katara. Our family saw ourselves in it. A Hispanic family saw themselves in it. My daughter's best friend is Hispanic and she saw it and their whole family thinks they're all Hispanic. And that's true. That's the beauty of anime that we all see ourselves as incredibly ambiguous and diverse. I wanted to be diverse. I wanted to be more diverse. I had to build upon whoever came in, the cultures that came in. That wasn't an agenda for me. It was just very open to me. And again, we say, Man, shut your bitch ass up. What are you talking about? 
He's lying, Tiffany. What are you saying? He's lying. He's lying. What is what is any of that? It's mean? like that camp of people who think Naruto is white. Yeah. It's like that camp of people who think Naruto is white. It's like, no, he's a white boy. Like he's a full Caucasian person. It's like, no, he might be blonde, yes, he might have blue eyes, yes, but that's just because you know the creator recognized how racist um the world is and just went,
Chinese in specific areas and there's Japanese like characters in other areas. And, like they just mix it all across the mm. board and you don't even pay attention to it. You just know that you're hearing English and so you hear the accent in a certain way. Right. That has very little to do well, with and... what he's talking about. <laughs> it's it's the it's the level of defensiveness for me, right? Where he is very much so coming at people in a way it's it sounds like he knows he's wrong right like you're only that defensive when you know you mm-hmm. fucked up and you're just trying to fight off accusations because you're tired of people putting the blame rightfully on you because like what what are you even trying to say or like in his defense it's not like okay i can see why people feel a certain way about you know x y and z but let me explain my thinking or my thought process about that it's I'm the only South Asian director who gets to do these kinds of things, and you're calling me racist? Well, fuck you, because like I perfect. I have black people, and therefore I'm infallible to every single decision. First of all, (laughs) it's going to be infallible. I'm like the truth. I've thought about like what kind of vendor um, most um, of the diaspora would be. The African diaspora. I'm like you'd be the most varied (laughs) vendor style ever because Africa as a continent is so fucking varied in environment. I was yeah. like, yeah, there'll be a lot of airbenders, but the coast will have a lot of waterbenders. But there's be firebenders right. near that desert. It's very and so just throwing us yeah. into the Earth Kingdom is not ac- actual thinking. You just went black Earth. <laughs> well, and it's like trying to trying to kind of diffuse all of this stuff, right? Like you made a mistake or you you are trying to cover for your actual intentions which may have been yeah i think this movie will sell better if there's white people at the front of it right like i'm trying to reach a broader audience and so i didn't want to cast a bunch of brown kids or even in the excuse that a lot of people make where it's just like where are you going to find inuits like <laughs> that's crazy and it's just like uh, at a casting agency you know what I mean? like where they are like acting in the world you know i think a lot of times people want to make excuses for stuff like that where they just say well you know we looked around and there was like two of them and like what do you want me to do but when you look at not only just the amount because again you picked a kid who just sent you a video of him at a taekwondo competition so it's not don't act like you were doing <laughs> deep-seated you, you know like a, a level of search for you know appropriate casting you just said that kid kind of looks like the kid on the show you weren't so trying to do when enough. like destiny's child trying to find a new third <laughs> member and they they went to everywhere across the country <laughs> and said send in your acting tape send in your table we'll, we're choosing a new third member third and fourth member of destiny's child you know you didn't have a Farah for you to settle on just michelle <laughs> and because that yeah, that's. I think that's that's exactly it though when you look at how the casting kind of went it's like you seemingly took the laziest route you could and like didn't really put a lot of intentional thought into any of the choices that you made so it's kind of hard for me to sit here and listen to you go on and on about how you made this incredibly diverse and like powerful film where not only do the results say differently but like i'm looking we have eyes we have ears (laughs) and if we didn't we can find some way to read the script and the script doesn't help you neither um, and that's why, like, mm-hmm. I look at the name thing. I said, like, you you're picking that battle because it's the easiest one for you to defend. It's easy for you to say, "Oh, I feel like yes. it's really fucked up that you guys just are saying that I shouldn't have changed the names." The names issue, I think, wouldn't be a problem if everything else was together. 
that's the issue with having good intentionality mm-hmm. some places, but then in other places, it's whack and it's horrible because it turns the things you yes. did with masterful precision and like real thought into just another jumbled piece of merc, like just jumbled piece of mess because you're talking about setting. How you say the names is about setting because it has nothing to do with the characterization. Saying Aang versus Ang has very little to do with how we interpret Aang as a character going through the story versus how he mm-hmm. deals with other characters, how he reacts to the circumstances, which storyline you choose to incorporate and how you choose to execute it all across the board has everything to do with that. And it also helps you justify whether or not the whitewashing was okay or was it race bending. But you didn't race bend right. and whitewash. There's a clear difference between the two because <laughs> it's not like you turned the air, air nomads to this broad European style, you know, Catholic oriented uh, spirituality. You knew the idea is he's a monk. And so we need the cool Shaolin style monk aesthetic to fit in here. We just got to throw a white boy into it. Down to the tattoo, the interpretation of his tattoos, I want to say kudos for that. I like the aesthetic of them. But you didn't really yeah. execute that because it's on a white boy and his white boy is floundering in the <laughs> acting department, not really selling the emotions at uh. all. Just dead very dead eyed and bored Just, yeah. throughout the entirety of the film. <laughs> um, well, wrapping up this behind the scenes section, two more things I, I want to touch on briefly is that the creators of the show, Michael Dante, DiMartino, and Brian Konetsko, served as executive producers, right? And were initially very supportive of the film. But both of them obviously were left very unsatisfied with the finished product. And in an interview in 2014, they revealed that A, we didn't want to, this to be done at all. <laughs> Before anyone was attached to it, we didn't want them to make a movie. B, if it was going to be done, we wanted to do it, but they were going to let us. C, when they attached M. Night to it, we just thought, well, this is what we've been dealt. So we'll just offer up help. And if that's asked for us, and if it's not, we'll just stay out the way. And so in the beginning, you know, there was a very positive relationship and they kind of had these conversations, but then eventually they had a big falling out probably because of all the things that I was just saying in those previous excerpts. Um, and they mentioned that they had a, gave a lot of input, but none of it went anywhere. And basically, you know, by the end of the film, they were just kind of pushed to the side uh, and not being listened to. So you can tell, I mean, it wasn't even the situation where M night like didn't have input from the people who made the actual show like they were trying and he was just like i don't want to hear silly white people you know, like i've got i know asian things better than <laughs> you do which granted very fair statement to make but maybe it's like just look at the cliff notes you know i i read tony yeah. morrison through spark notes as well a little bit uh when i first read it i yeah. read it but like you know i used it for aid <laughs> well and then just last year def patel was asked a, a different question, but more or less asked, you know, after the success of things like The Great Knight and some of his other roles, like, what, what do you think about, you know, doing something like a Marvel movie or a DC movie? Do you ever want to do like a big blockbuster kind of film? And he said, no, thanks. Uh, mostly because uh, the last time he had an opportunity to do something like that was a huge disaster. You can guess what the last time was. It was this movie. <laughs> yeah, he says, I shouldn't even bring it up, but do a quick IMBD search and you'll see what movie I'm talking about. Um, and he just kind of says that it was not for him. Yeah, I didn't really flourish in that position. I take my hat off to all the incredible actors that do Marvel movies where it's like big, noisy fans and green screens and tennis balls and whatnot, but that's not really what I do best. So like, 
even all these years later, Dev Patel is like, I don't know if this is what every movie is like, but I know my experience. <laughs> and I don't want to say that. Is, there so. is green screen in a green night. <laughs> There's major green screen. Yeah. I love that movie so much. There's major green screen in that movie. Um, and so that shade was like, I love when I hear good past jobs. Since, you know, I just don't like the whole aesthetic yeah. of it. That's the reason why I know not in my Shyamalan. Basically taking the shit on a page yeah. and telling you read it. Not for me. It, <laughs> oh, um, well, quickly here, let's let's kind of talk a little bit about what's next. Because Last Iron Brother is being adapted by Netflix to be another live action iteration. And we have another situation where, again, the original creators were involved and then left due to creative differences so you know we're kind of up in the air about what the show is going to be like we haven't had any real developments have you heard anything recently about last i heard uh the act for saga was in trouble for um being a fakian uh he lied about that and so like they i guess they were trying to patch that up either sweep it underneath the rug or like just you never know what Netflix is going to do. Like, sometimes they decide, oh, we did it for responsibility reasons, but yeah. behind closed doors, it's like, we want to get rid of him anyway. His budget was too high. Like, um, so you never know. I haven't heard a lot of great things, but for some reason, I'm also just not excited about returning to the Avatar universe outside of the animations. Um, there's just so much that happens and yeah. that goes into it that I prefer, like, I like the books even better than I like the idea of watching a live action interpretation mm-hmm. of this. Until I see something that is of a great result, because Netflix can say whatever they want about yeah. like, oh, we have the best of intentions. We're huge fans of the Avatar, the Last Airbender, and we want to work with it. But it's always a bad sign that the creators left because the creators have the most care with the series possible. And the idea of saying we want to make it more mature is always a red flag because this series does not need to be more mature for the elements to sink through. You don't need to see Aang stabbing yeah. someone through the throat um, to feel the weight of his <laughs> actions. The only thing I would say they need to change is that goddamn lion turtle. I've gone on paper of hating the lion turtle mm, yep. and what it did to <laughs> what would have been a very interesting debacle of whether or not Aang can figure out a way to hold his morals and also do the goal that he has to do. I was always like, throw him into the spirit world. Yes. That's the answer to the whole situation. Mm. The prison mm-hmm. with the spirit world reacts to the environment. It's the perfect theoretical prison, not really a prison, because it's like you can let yourself out at any moment. It's like, I don't know if you've ever seen Naruto. I always preface that. There's a moment where a character gets locked in an illusion. And the whole point of illusion is like, you can go, you just gotta make a you gotta change who you are. You can't escape this until you change who you are fundamentally. Mm-hmm. You might be here for a day, you might be here for an hour. Might be here for years. We never know, but you won't stop until you notice the issues with the pattern you're perpetuating in yourself and you heal. And I'm like, that's the spirit world. Ain't could have easily did that. He just never did. Yeah. So until they make statements that I would never see that goddamn lion turtle ever again, I've <laughs> I've not been interested in touching <laughs> anything else to do with Aang's story. It's perfectly told. There's no topping it, and there's no way I think an adaptation could be anything better. Yeah, I mean, even in this instance, for this particular movie, if they had just cast, you know, Inuit and brown kids, 
it's still a bad movie. Like it's not, you know, going to be better because there's appropriate casting. It's still going to be a disaster. So like, that's not necessarily the fix. And I also think while there is interesting things to do adaption wise, like there's possibilities and, you know, specifically a lot of interesting visuals and stuff like that. I do worry, like you said, when you throw in around words like mature and like, uh trying to to even add elements of realism to it because i don't think that's what made the show so great i think the moments of levity and fun and adventure really added to some of the more emotional beats because you know when you see ang running around and he's having fun and he's like playing pranks and doing all this stuff um but then the world kind of comes down on him and he realizes yeah i can't escape this destiny that i have i can't really i tried to run away the first time and that didn't work you know like i'm i'm going forward toward this and every time you know that kind of level of of responsibility dawns on him you have these moments where he is coming face to face with the fact that even though he is still a kid like he's not going to get a chance to be a kid like other kids you know what i mean and like there's a heaviness and, and elements to that that i think are you know, just very interesting from a character perspective. So if everything is serious all the time, it doesn't really have that same level of balance where, you know, you're seeing him, you know, ride the giant koi fish or like doing all these other things that he's just trying to have a good time because he's 10 years old and like play with the other kids. But then, you know, the other kids don't have the weight of the world on their shoulders. Because that's even what makes the series so special is that even like all that happens, that's what's his fear comes to realize like with Katara and Sokka and like the the whole gang in general that like that is his childhood. He goes back to the memories of when I did my childhood was me saving the world because we still have fun in between. It wasn't like we purely went at the maturity right. elements of everything going on. We didn't turn Aang into a hardened war veteran sneaking in and out of like fucking uh enemy camps and like assassinating people <laughs> in the dead of night. It's like no like I chilled on the beach uh, we had games, we had a sand building contest right before I had to go and plot the eventual murder mm-hmm. of the Fire Lord. Um, and we focused on that <laughs> rather than yeah. the outright murder I might have to commit. Um, well, it's now time to play our favorite game here on the show where we go around to all the different review sites and see what everybody gave Avatar The Last Airbender, or just The Last Airbender. Um, so, Stephen, we're going to start with IMDb. On a point system, out of 10, what do you think The Last Airbender currently has? one <laughs> four which is uh people be lying the ass off on IMDb. yeah <laughs> i mean we we've run the gamut of things where like imdb like a seven is like this is a good movie you know like you should watch this movie and so a four is definitely not a good ranking but even in that like still probably too kind to in my channel i'm paid for bots <laughs> Am I shame on paper Russian bots to to pilfer the IMDb voting system? Well, it's a four out of one hundred sixty four thousand too. So like, that's still enough strong reviews, enough five stars in there to keep it from being like bottom of the bottom. But who hmm, knows? Gonna vote for a recount. <laughs> I want every one of those votes to be analyzed for the send a captcha, send a recapture to every single one of those uh, reviewers. <laughs> And if they do not prove if they can find which five, which of those nine pictures is a truck, then we have to remove that vote. 
Well, I, I think you're going to like this next one. What do you think Last Airbender has on Rotten Tomatoes currently? Me too. Five. Five percent out of a hundred, which is that feels more right. You know what I mean? Like, there's always going to be some dissenting voices of people who are like, "It wasn't as bad as everybody says," but majority and we disrespect of... kids' movies so much in this day and age. I feel like we don't give yeah. children the clemency that we need, and I feel like if you, I, I want to tell them, go watch Steven Universe, the movie, uh, the musical, and go, then go watch The Last Airbender, and then tell yeah. me. You want to give that thing the vote you gave it because sometimes it's because you desanitize yourself. You go like, "Oh, it was a kid movie. You know, just throw it on, just throw it on." Yeah. You know, it's it's going to be like Sonic. Um, one review reads: Shyamalan takes the beloved source material, strips the characters of all emotion, throws an intrusive narration, douses it in CGI, and tries to pass it off as a viable effort. Which I think is a perfect description of this movie. It's not even tea or shade. That's just the truth. <laughs> um, so, and that's that's a five percent out of there was one hundred and ninety two reviews. One hundred eighty three were rotten. Nine were fresh. So that sums it up for you. There's also a thirty percent audience fresh score, one. which is read like, a fresh okay. review. All right. <laughs> I want to see what drugs they're on and if it is on its way to being illegal. Because if not, it should be. <laughs> is it a masterpiece? Oh, God, no. But I'm intrigued to see where the next film goes. I captivated my imagination. He hasn't mastered the craft yet, but Edmund Shyamalan may be onto something with this action movie thing. And these okay, are all like... shady. Okay, I get it. <laughs> now it makes sense. I... These are shady. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some of them are like... I think just because of the way that Rotten Tomatoes calculates things, it's like three and a half out of five is fresh, two point five out of four is fresh, six out of ten. So nobody's like loving it, but I think it just beats the minimum requirement of a fresh rating. Um, so last time, better on our absolute favorite Amazon.com. What do you think it has out of five stars? Now, just because I don't have any faith in Jeff Bezos, I'm gonna say seven out of ten. Ooh, okay. Well, that's that's a little high, but uh, it's got four out of five stars, four point two out of five. Um, some of them read engaged, warm-hearted, responsible, reasonable adaptation of the series. My kids really loved it. A thor a thoroughly enjoyable fantasy, uh, and an excellent product. Speedy delivery, exactly as advertised. Very pleased. <laughs> Which is just literally a review of getting the DVD. So <laughs> five stars for Amazon service. Um, America betrays me at every turn. Oh, for sure. Look, this is what they do on every one of these movies. I think we haven't seen a movie on Amazon that has been less than three and a half stars. And that was like the lowest one. Everything else is four and above. I'm going to have my editors add to the cover of my book that if you like that, if you rated The Last Airbender above a three stars, this book is not for you. No, please don't. Don't come. buy my uh, shit. Leave me alone. <laughs> Never. <laughs> well, now that we've seen what the critics and the people had to say, let's rank this on our caucasity ranking scale. We've got three levels of caucasity for you, Stephen. Um, the first level is shorts in the winter. Having recently moved to California, this is probably not quite an issue for you. But if you remember back to your time on the East Coast, uh, it's cold now. 
and Mm -hmm. white people still refuse to put on pants and it's unclear whether it's like like a response to the weather where like we don't believe in 30 degrees or freezing or whether it's an attempt to prove a point of some kind but temperature is for the underprivileged (laughs) you will see more often than not there's always somebody who's taken the risk and not just like we always say it's not like oh i went to the mailbox in shorts like i'm i'm out here in shorts i sent my child to school in basketball shorts and negative three degrees (laughs) so this level is this movie isn't hurting me i just have questions right like there's something going on here that's piquing my not even my interest but my concern but overall like not really harmful just kind of a curiosity the second level is this movie is touching my hair right and that's when we start to have problems because now (laughs) some kind of violence has been done this movie maybe isn't like the worst thing i've ever seen but it's definitely leaning into negative stereotypes it's definitely trading on some unfavorable imagery or ideas or topics so you know like if if hr was a thing that was going to do something about it we might have to go to hr about the movie but it's not necessarily the worst that could happen the third level though this week in particular i mean it's thanksgiving weekend white people have been up to a lot of things whether it's casseroles or all kinds of crazy recipes for things that they tried to cook blowing up half of their house trying to deep fry a turkey um <laughs> e- elon musk is still at it recently pulling out a bunch of woke t-shirts from twitter hq and making a big show of it in some way i don't I think really he's selling them now is. i think he's selling those t-shirts now yeah you know the less we say about him the better but he's definitely still at it on the fuck shit but i found this <laughs> and i don't know I I still can't tell whether this is a thing that's for real or whether somebody's just fucking with me. But even if that's true, I, we gotta, we gotta do a public service announcement. So Steven, I'm sending you something in the chat now that is a, is a visual aid for this. There is a website called Karen's United for respect. And it's described as fighting all forms of identity based prejudice, including namism for all who believe that names and the people who hold them deserve respect. Basically, (laughs) it's a website for people named Karen who feel like they're being attacked and prejudiced against because of the nomenclature of Karen now in in the popular society, right? And so, of course, it has to be creatively rendered. Wait, there's so much wrong with the website. (laughs) Which is like, that's why I'm like, did somebody, because somebody made this, right? So even as a joke, like, that's a lot of work to do. And there's a lot of, like, information on here. And none of it seems funny. So I don't really know what to make of this, but... The new one of the... of the Karen diaspora. Oh my goodness. Anti-Karen attitudes have become so widespread that many people with the name Karen find themselves repeated target of verbal, emotional, and physical abuse. The damage caused by such name-based prejudice is not to be underestimated. Whether Muhammad, Ignatz, Faith, or Luigi, Sungi, Karen, Keisha, or Ravi, using personal names to pass judgment about other person's character is as discriminatory as using their ethnicity, race, religion, sexual orientation, age, gender, or nationality. (laughs) 
Um, so, you know, a lot to kind of think about and unpack. I would say, as we usually do with stuff like this. Ugh, you ugly as fuck. You out of pocket. Out of pocket, right? Like, please stop. Don't do this. <laughs> Anytime you're trying to bring about some kind of equivalency between some other shit and not even just real shit but like race gender uh and sexual orientation like those are three things that people are really discriminated against for and also have like real life consequences right your name being karen is something that one you could literally change if you wanted to two you can have a nickname three <laughs> you don't have a little name baby you don't <laughs> yeah like but but third of all like what's really happening to you right you know what i mean what somebody makes a small joke about oh karen stop being such a karen maybe you are being a karen <laughs> maybe that's a cue for you to examine your choices and the things that you're doing because people don't just throw that around for fun as a joke you know like you have to be doing something that's presumably going to make people look at you that way and say cut that shit out right and so like for the you to go through whoever made this website went through all the all the personal time and effort not very well designed but like you probably hopped on squarespace or some shit and threw a website together like you're paying for the domain name so at the very least <laughs> hundred dollars a year hundred dollars a year you know uh but this is obviously the the ultimate level of caucasity where it's just like you're doing this on purpose you know exactly what you're doing no shame harm intentional you're coming for us and you want everybody to know it so out of those three what do you think little ass airbender ranks so it has to be something that is traumatic right because there's the act of watching Avatar, uh, The Last Airbender, is a very traumatic experience. Um, whether or not M. Night Shyamalan was to admit that it is a traumatic experience, you you never forget a scene. <laughs> you you no. never forget a scene. So, but it's not outright violence. You know, he didn't yeah. do something that is categorically irresponsible. Like this isn't the Green Book. You know. <laughs> <laughs> This isn't rewriting history. This is a fictional series about a fantasy Asian boy written by white men um, that inherently is just things, something that people love and probably got them through very difficult times in their life um, that now mm -hmm. they have been besmirched by the negligence of this man who thought he could do no wrong and found that yeah. he, in fact, is widely in the room for error, the margin of error. I'm going to give it shorts, <laughs> shorts in the winter, uh, because it's something that is directly harmful to the person themselves, but not harmful to you yourself. <laughs> it's like you look at someone walking outside in shorts in the middle of dead winter and you go, you're only hurting yourself, baby. That baby don't got a jacket yeah. on. You're not related to me, though, so I don't have to tell you to do <laughs> Maybe you're authentically not cold. Maybe um, you have a weird thing where your legs just need to be on the cusp of a witch's tent. Who knows? <laughs> but it's not knocking anything I'm doing. Me, I'm gonna stay paid. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna give it. I'm gonna give it touching my hair, only for the 
fact that one uh, M Night doth to protest too much, like <laughs> just the amount of like I can't I can't have done anything wrong because because I think that's really it, right? Like as a film maker of color it's not to say that you need to speak for all of us it's not to say that you need to even speak for your own particular people or that you need to be a beacon or you know anything like that where you're supposed to carry this this level of example that is just like no no person could do that right like even the best of us out here the avas the ryan kuglers like they they might fall at some point they might stumble they might do something that we're kind of like i don't know about that so it's not to say that you you need to hold this burden for all of us, but it is to say that when you a have opportunities to not fuck up like this, and particularly we're talking about the casting, the movie itself. I mean, yeah, I don't know. It's it's trash, and that's also like <laughs> leading into my my rating. But like, if I was just rating it on the movie, the movie would be. Uh, the ultimate level just because it, it hurts to watch. Uh, but in terms of, <laughs> in terms of, of this, I I'll give it touching my hair just because yeah, like when you're in a position like that, the number one rule is just do no harm, right? Like right. you don't have to like make make a point about, you know, like anything in particular, you can just make a movie. It doesn't have to be a big statement, but when you actively do harm, whether it's intentional or not, at most just own up to it right just say hey you know i fucked up man like i'm sorry i i thought this was going to make the movie better or like you know i had a vision and it didn't quite pan out and i understand why people are upset but to come back around and say hey why are you pointing the racist finger at me (laughs) 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 you know it's just like and especially when it's something that is about bringing people together it is about inclusion it is about you know harmony between lots of different groups of people with lots of different belief systems and like having a way for us to all coexist for you to make something divisive in its place is like no yeah there's we've seen a lot worse you know in terms of that but like this is still i i am i am taking offense to <laughs> to a lot of that of there's stuff so it. many ways that this could have been better but maybe that is the lesson here is that you know mm-hmm. the masses level courses you don't watch good things you watch horrible things so that you can understand why yeah. it's horrible and it can inspire right. you to do better i'm like there's aspects of the movie that i think he was really onto something i think casting um the fire nation as south asian gave him the opportunity to see people who look like him on the screen in huge numbers because if they're playing villains, then justifiably so you'll see more of them. So he did create more mm-hmm. opportunity with that. Um, it's just that the narrative in itself did not match up to that decision whatsoever. Right. And then he had to take a seat for, for a while as a result of it. So, I mean, it's not even to say that he didn't suffer consequences for making this terrible movie because he, he was out the paint for a bit until he made split in glass and then they were like all right you can come back you know but like up until that and he was kind of on on big budget timeout like he had to go and do you know a lot smaller films up until Mm -hmm. here so in uh uh, 2014 my friend was at nyu when he did i think he did the commencement speech um okay and he said yeah everyone booed him (laughs) off the strength of the last airbender everyone booed him 
But I mean, again, you bring it on yourself. So you, you did know. this to yourself. Uh, <laughs> well, I, I think I could speak for both of us when I would say I recommend that people watch the original show. Like, go back. It's all on Netflix. Legend of Korra, the sequel is also on Netflix. Like, and don't don't take, message me with any disrespect to my girl Korra. I will. I do. <laughs> I go hard in the paint for my icon, my girl. You know, who did nothing wrong? Who 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 did her job? It's just that so mm-hmm. happened that her job was more difficult. Leave my girl alone. Yep. <laughs> Leave my girl alone. And also, all avatars are bisexual. I'm not sure if you guys know that, but they are. I think, I mean, that's another interesting element that they didn't touch on at all in this movie is that the Avatar spirit is one one that is, um, like, linked throughout lifetime. So, mm-hmm. like, you have access to the past lives that the Avatars lived, and the Avatar is men, women, and, you know, probably other genders that they didn't get into on the show. But, like, the Avatar can and has been anyone and everyone, and that's kind of the point of the avatars, avatars that they have the embodiment of, of all kinds of people. So well, read um, the books. Kyoshi is pretty gay. Yeah. <laughs> Kyoshi, Kyoshi is pretty gay. <laughs> so I think that was another missed opportunity to really touch into the idea that, you know, the avatar isn't just, you would think that the avatar is, you know, like because of how a lot of these things are, are told a very masculine you know, identity is just like it's another line of men who are tasked to protect the world. But when in reality, the Avatar is, you know, this kind of universal figure who embodies all not only all identities, but like is meant to be the convergence point for like so many of the things that separate us. So, um, yeah, so as Beyonce, you know, yeah, uh, right. <laughs> Which I would watch that movie. I know they're not <laughs> going to make it, but like, is it like the you? soundtrack? would be is that uh, that one video that you released of like uh all the elements is just beyonce bending in every music video <laughs> <laughs> well steven i want to thank you so much for joining us here this has been a ton of fun uh so glad that we could have you on please tell everybody yeah tell everybody what you've got coming out again twitter is is going away but tell people where they can find you on the internet um and any other things that you want to let people know about? Um, yeah, so you can find me anywhere there is an at for B-L-A-Q-U-E-W-O-R-D because I'm only using that. I know how to brand myself, baby. <laughs> so, you know, I'm on Halo. I I am tentatively on TikTok. Um, and I wanna I'm a I'm on Instagram. Those are the best places to get me, but I'm gonna ride these this Twitter streets until these wheels fall off. Because I have a marketing plan I need to stay faithful to. Um, the next thing sure. you can see for me is Forever for the Culture, Noting the New Black Digital Arts Renaissance, uh, which should be coming out in another two years or so. Um, tentatively, tentatively, uh, we'll see. Uh, but look out for the pre-order for that. Um, and yeah, just always say hello. I'm always a very jovial person. I'm very chaotic, very messy. Um, <laughs> you know, check me on every Wednesday when X-Men comics drop uh, and also on KRK Radio. For me, getting into the deep, the deep nuances of comics that people care, like um, the sexual repercussions of having specific powers. Um, Those are the important conversations that comic books need to be discussing, but people won't wake it up. They're not using Mm. their active brains. They're not asking the real questions. And that's why Black queer men exist. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hopefully people open those third eyes. uh, Mm -hmm. Yeah, unlock it. (laughs) Uh, 
tap into your cerebral, open the Phoenix Force, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, for, for Cameron, who's not here, I will let everybody know that you can find him at the Blipster 1138 on Twitter, on Instagram, if you want to see what he's got going on with his improv group, To Karen With Love, or if you want to see just whatever jokes or thoughts he's got going on, be sure to check him out there. You can find me for now on Twitter and also on Instagram at jrsosa18, jrsosa18. Um, speaking of comics, I got comics coming out. If you want to check out uh, Hell Sonia, Red Sonia coming out from Dynamite, that's going to be out on December 14th. If you want to check out um, my my story in the DC Power, uh, DC Comics Anthology, that's going to be part of their Black History Month rollout where we're going to be doing all these stories with a lot of different black characters that's coming out on january 31st uh and other stories will be coming out in the future so be on the lookout for that um but if you want to reach out to us here at the show you can get us again for now on twitter at white underscore pod still thinking about all the different possibilities so we'll figure that out and let you know where we might have to move to after um or best way to reach us is at the email white people won't save you pod at gmail.com so be on the lookout for all that stuff, but we'll be back with more Cockacity next week. Peace. Hey.